Hi, I'm Paul Berger, founder of CircleCI. I'm Edith Harba, CEO and co-founder at LaunchDarkly. And you're listening to To Be Continuous, a podcast about continuous delivery and software development. You can get in touch with us anytime at our Twitter handle, at ContinuousCast. The show is brought to you by Heavybit. To learn more, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library, home to great educational talks from other developer company founders and industry leaders. In this first episode, we talk about why people are doing continuous delivery as well as its benefits and barriers. Also, why you should never ask to see Paul's PhD thesis. Okay, Edith, what's your favorite thing about continuous delivery? Just making people happier quicker. That is not where I was expecting you to go with that. Well, I think it comes back to, you know, I'm an engineer and part of an engineer is you want to see stuff out there. Right. You want to see people using your product, you want to see them happy, you want to hear if they're not happy. Right. You want to fix bugs, you want to ship features. So one of the really nice kind of happiness things that we saw was was support tickets. So people would come in and and they'd have a support request and we'd be able to ship a feature change or whatever it was to that that went out like, you know, 20 minutes later. Yeah. And and you'd be able to say to them, "Oh, Sorry about that. Should be fixed now. Yeah, I mean we do the same. Um, right. You know, we're we're a young company, and if somebody complains, we're like, oh, we'll fix that right, right away. Right, right. Nothing diffuses a, a Twitter rant like uh, should be fixed now. Yeah, I, I think part of that though is a consequence of us, uh, quite frankly, being very small and not having as many customers yet. Like when I was at TripIt, we had ten million users. Right. Well, the, I think that's probably a different kind of situation. Yeah. But I presume they did continuous delivery. You know, we did a weekly release, and then we would do patches. Okay. So. And th- this is mobile software. Uh, this is mobile. Yes. It, okay. We had a whole different release stream for mobile, mainly around uh, the Apple Store. Oh right, right, right. Yeah, the 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 great disruptor of continuous delivery. Yeah, it's I'd say it's like I'd say the number one thing that stops continuous delivery on mobile is just Apple. Like yeah. It's like if it's like there, there. I think there's all this urge and want to be more mm-hmm. reactive and mobile, and there's this, this huge. Thou shall not pass sign that right. Cupertino pushed up, which is basically like your app might be great, but it's not happening. So I wrote this. Uh, I wrote this blog post. I think it was on Panda Daily or something that talked about how Apple was responsible for this glitch, this Kindle glitch yeah. um, that that went out. So Amazon released a, a new version of Kindle that I think deleted all of your eBooks or something like that, and they they weren't able to turn it around super quick. They got a special exemption. They got turned around within a day. It was, you know, in the end, it was fine. But really, you know, the problem and the reason that that was caused is that the lack of a continuous delivery process meant that you know they couldn't just like ship the new code and have it turned off and then gradually turn it on and you know the, the sort of thing that we do on the web. That but that they weren't able to do in mobile. Yeah, I think it's funny because mobile has this reputation of being so much faster and more modern. Right. But right. in terms of delivery to end users, it's. Five ten years behind, and yeah, it's all it's, it's all Apple. Amateur. Yeah, it's yeah. all Apple. Like right. we saw that so many times at TripIt, we would have a fatal bug out in the field, right? And we would have a patch ready. Yeah. And Apple would say, "Well, you know, we got to review this." And so, so that's the thing. Like, and, and you, we were a good customer. We were the right. number one travel app. Developers can write a fix in five ten minutes once they know the once they know the thing. I mean, it depends on the on the fix, but you know, it's very often five or ten minutes. And anything that like. 
any time that you add on for that is a thing where more customers notice, more customers are affected, more customers' workflows are, are, are disrupted. And it's it's just pure overhead. Like Apple is just introducing overhead, but also not having a continuous delivery process in your in your organization, releasing quarterly, you know, having someone who needs to click the button, something along those lines are, are all more things that, that that can just add barriers like fixing fixing customer things. Yeah, so th- this goes back to something we were talking about before about how you know, you said everybody wants to ship stuff faster, and I said no. There are a lot of people whose whose job is shipping things slower. Yeah, so right, I mean, right. Apple does not really care if you ship stuff faster. Right, right, right. Like, like they, Apple gets dinged if stuff is is broken or or bad, or at least that's so, that. At least that's their viewpoint. But then but, they put up all these processes where right. you're like, I have a broken build, just let me patch it. So th- th- this is one of the one of the great sort of um, falsehoods of software delivery that. Trying to make sure that it's perfect is is better. This is actually what happens is is trying to make sure that it's perfect means that shit never gets shipped. Yep. And actually shipping things and iterating on it uh, gets better or is what makes it better. And, and startups understand this. The, the whole lean movement was was built around this ad- idea. Agile is built around this idea, and everyone is pretending to be lean. Everyone's <laughs> pretending to be agile. Well, it's it's kind of like you ask somebody, "Are you agile?" What are they going to say? No. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, I tend to ask people, "Are they agile with a capital A?" And that that implies that like they, they follow the full agile process and and uh, nobody nobody follows the full agile process. Yeah, I I, I think so. We'll go back on one of the major tenets of agile, which is people over process. Right. Um, and I think one of the the holdbacks of effective continuous delivery is there are people whose bias is to have stuff be perfect, as you said. Right. Right. And and they like processes that enforce um, that enforce that. Yeah. So. I mean, Apple obviously likes a process that enforces that. Well, well, like a human that, that makes sure that I, I don't know no nudity or whatever's against the rules on 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 the on the App Store. But I I think they also have like business reasons for not doing it. So the, the what everyone would like to do is just ship a web view in a in a native container and and then just like update it off the web. And Apple doesn't let you do that because they're they're trying to make you. Build native apps, and they're they're trying to make it, you know, all in the in a thing that they control, where they control the ecosystem, where you can't just easily take an app and move it off to Android or, or you know, whoever else could be in that ecosystem if if Apple allowed that. So they they have like a very strong business reason to keep to keep people from having a, a really good continuous delivery uh, workflow. Yeah, and it, it all comes back to money. They want to monetize off the App Store. Apple wants money. No, really? They didn't give you that computer for free? But if they just if, if everything's off web views, they can't enforce their thirty percent cut. Right. They can't control the ecosystem. They you know you may as well ship it to Android then. Well well not even that. It's like um if you sell something through an app, they get thirty percent right off the top. Uh, okay, right, right. And then they can't they can't enforce that. If if you sell it via web view, but just by say you had a web view and you're checking out, they, there's no way for them to take the thirty percent cut. It's funny how many different sort of um so I tend to look at the world through through incentives. I tends to be one of the lenses through through I look through the world, and whatever incentive you 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 get someone with, like there tends to be a lot of incentives not to do continuous delivery. Even though, like if you're a developer or you're a product manager, doing continuous delivery is like the most awesome thing in the world. But there's a couple of anti patterns that I see, and one of them one of them is is fear. Like people, people are just afraid that things will break, and then, and then the other one. I guess this is kind of fear as well. But there's this uh, anti-pattern in in product management of like, you know, why wasn't I shown this, yeah. or, 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 or you know, why didn't someone check with me? 
you also see this in in uh, ranters on Twitter. <laughs> the and I, I think that you know if you have continuous delivery, if you have things going out all the time, then then you know there isn't always necessarily a human who can who can validate that like oh we're doing it right, or at least if your process isn't set up in in such a way to to allow this to happen. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think a lot of continuous delivery is accepting kind of decentralized authority. That is a really interesting concept. Um, you know, so so the whole idea of a release train uh, mm-hmm. was a monolith. Was that you know you right. had these many layers of approval. Right, right, right. You know, and yeah, everyone and, and had to be checked. There's every... a human. There's a release manager who's who's validating that it's good enough at at each time. And, and even beyond that, that you know, then the marketing reviews it. Then you have legal. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's you, all you've got the timing right and. It's very hierarchical. Whereas continuous delivery is, you know, anybody could push at any time. Right, right. That that's very decentralized. Right. So continuous delivery is anyone can push at any time, but it's not necessarily everyone releases every single push or or, or at any particular time. There's there's kind of two models that that there's kind of two related words that that people get confused with is the continuous deployment model of Every piece of code that you push is shipped, and then there's the continuous delivery model of every piece of code that you push is uh, is possible to be shipped. Yeah, I think it's shipped versus shippable. Yes, yes, um, and I I, I think uh, web versus uh, versus mobile is is a nice example of this. Like c- certainly, most of our customers, every version of um, of their iOS app that they build uh, on CircleCI is uh, is shippable. Yeah, the, 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 there's a, a binary that, that you can download to, to your phone that you can upload to your um, uh, to your over the air uh, updater or, or whatever it is that that is actually shippable. And Apple is putting that that barrier in you to prevent it being shipped. Yeah, that that goes back to the decentralized versus hierarchy. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like, if, if anyone is is hierarchical, it's Apple. Oh, well, and then and then it goes back to you know. Who does this ultimately serve? Because then you have all these people with broken phones out in the in the real world. Right. Right. We probably shouldn't keep going on about Apple, but I, I think it's an interesting model that the they tend not to get things too broken. Like it, it, it allows you to uh, make sure that, that that people aren't really violating the rules too much. So you you, you can't sneak in viruses. Yep. Um, you, I mean, there can still be viruses, but it, they're harder to sneak in, which you would get with with continuous delivery or, or with, with a, in particular a web view model of, of continuous delivery. You can't sneak in things that are against the rules, gambling and and porn and and, and whatever else Apple doesn't want in its in its ecosystem, um, and and the expense of that is innovation. Yeah, um, I'm doing air quotes for for people at home around innovation, <laughs> um, but you, you you just can't ship things as fast. You people who are working on your ecosystem can't ship things as fast, and you'll find that a lot of startups who are trying to do something super interesting that doesn't really require being on a mobile will will do it on the web because they can just ship. Way yeah. way faster. Yeah, it's 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 basically to to your point, perfection is at the cost of speed. Right, right, right. Or yep. my old boss Greg Brockway, who was the Tripit co-founder, he said, uh, "A perfect plan tomorrow is not as good as a good enough plan today." Right, right. And, um, and he he said he said that to me because I was, you know, I I had built this new feature, I didn't feel it was good enough to ship, and mm-hmm. he gave me some really good advice. Right. Which was, let's just ship it. All right. If it's broken, we'll fix it. I, I guess the obvious thing that relates to that then is feature flags, uh, and to sort of point towards your company slightly, uh, Edith, of course, the CEO of LaunchDarkly. Uh, thanks, Paul. Uh, Paul is the CEO of Circle CI, and uh, feature flags as a service. But like feature flags, I think were, were really the the innovation that that made continuous delivery like properly possible. 
the idea that, that you're just going to ship code separate from, from shipping features. Yeah, it goes back to shipped versus shippable. Right, right, yes. Like you have everything all bundled up and kind of ready to go even out in the field, but, but hidden. Right, right. Um, there, there, there's a bunch of features that, that we have that are maybe maybe 80% shipped that you know, we sent them out to customers and we determined that it, it just wasn't good enough for, for some reason. Uh, maybe, maybe there's a software bug, maybe, maybe there's an edge case that, that, that we hadn't considered that, that actually comes up in production. But, but I don't think that we could realistically do continuous delivery if we weren't shipping things in their off state. That's cool. Can you talk about an example of a feature like that? Um, so, so there's this thing that we're, we're rolling at the moment, and it, it totally exists. And like anyone, any customer could use it if only they knew about it. <laughs> it's, um, it's like the secret sauce at uh, In and Out. Uh, exactly, exactly. Um, but I mean, we're we're not telling them about it. But it's 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 going to be the, the the super awesome feature. But it's 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 a big feature, and the the foundation is built, uh, and the foundation is like you know part of every single build. Um, and if you know the the super secret uh, invocation, you can get it. And so we're we're going to start by like rolling that out to you know customers who who actually need it, and we're going to validate it against you know the first five or ten customers, and, and a very like standard uh, sort of product management. Uh, thing of like you know validating the business case, validating the the customer case, make sure that, that the thing that we're shipping is is a thing that's really valuable to our customers before we before we announce it, before we tell 100% of our customers. So maybe 10, 20% of our customers will will have experienced it before we before we announce it, um, and actually a whole lot of customers will experience it uh, without knowing that they experience it. And I think that's that's kind of the 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 ideal way of, of shipping things. Validate the product first. Um, validate the the technology first. Make sure that it all works, and, and only ship it to customers once, or you know, well, only have like the marketing version of, of the launch uh, long after the, the the code is is validated in production. Yeah, I mean, we we did the same thing at Tripit. So one of the biggest features I ever worked on was uh, scraping people's inbox for emails. Okay. So Tripit basically takes emails, strips them of interesting things, and then gives you a beautiful itinerary. You used to have to forward stuff to plans at Tripit. Okay. What a lot of our customers were asking for was that we could just scan their email and get their emails out for them. Um, sounds simple until you think about it, right, and you're right. like, "Well, actually, this is a pretty massive undertaking. Like, you have to get the right emails. Mm-hmm. Like, people we found they would have like 10,000, 10, 20,000 emails. You mm-hmm. have to pick the right ones and only the right ones. So, right. so we dark launched this. Okay. Like we. We only did it to people who opted in, mm-hmm. and they gave us really good feedback. You know, we made a lot of really simple mistakes at the beginning. You know, because there's a ton of logic. Like we would pick up like um, like Turkish Airlines had like a travel to Istanbul, and we thought that people were traveling to Istanbul. Oh, okay. And we make a trip, and they and so we'd have to get smarter and smarter and smarter about our filtering. And then we got to the point where we're like, okay, this is good enough that we can release it to our entire mm-hmm. you know million right. plus base. So the, there's a bunch of um. Uh, of validation techniques. That uh, do you know Marty Kagan? Yeah. So the, for people at home, Marty Kagan is like the, this product guy. He runs Silicon Valley Product Group. Um, he's he's well known in in the Valley as like the product guy. And he, he he runs a seminar, and a bunch of Circle people went to the seminar, and he talks about product validation techniques. And the product validation techniques are basically the things that that enable you to do continuous delivery really well. It's two two of my favorite ones, and one of them is the um, is the button on the app that doesn't actually do anything. I love that. Yeah. Well, because if nobody ever pushes it, don't build the darn thing. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, in order to do that, you really don't want to show that button to to everyone because what if everyone loves that button? 
you know, you, you want to ship that that blank button out to a smaller number to a small number of people and then a small uh, you know larger number of people. To make sure that, that the volume doesn't exceed it. Because if you show it to a thousand people and a thousand people all click it, you know you don't want to you don't want ten million customers who would who would really love that feature being like oh fooled you feature doesn't actually exist. Well, I'd say far what's what usually happens is nobody clicks. Yes, because yes. I've I've run right. that experiment many times. Right. And nobody clicks it, and then you do stuff like you try a different wording. You're right. like, let's make that button bigger. Let's make the button be the entire page. And you're like, all right, nobody, nobody cares. Right. <laughs> like, let, let's make that button be a pop up that, like, you know, I, I've pushed hard on features that just turn out just to be dead ends. But right. it's better to find it out early. Yeah. So the, the, that's one that that works really well with with continuous delivery. And the other, um, I like this one almost almost entirely for the name of it, the the, the Wizard of Oz yeah. feature. So this is. Um, uh, this is where you you build a, a button or something like that, and uh, someone someone clicks it. Let's say it's let's say it's your um, check your check your inbox uh, for for trip things. Uh, you click the button, and you know you, you get told, you know we're gonna we'll get back to you in forty eight hours with this feature. And then there's a human who's like aggressively fil- I guess they're not gonna be aggressively filtering through your inbox, but <laughs> maybe maybe it doesn't work in that case. But you know someone is like. Checking out this use case, they're uploading the spreadsheet manually. They're they're entering the the, the data that they're, they're validating it, but it's really not possible to launch that kind of feature at scale either. Because if if ten million people click it, you know you you really don't have the ability to to satisfy the volume that that could possibly be there, which you're almost certain isn't there. And so you need to scale it up to the level um, that that you can actually tolerate. Yeah, and I think this this ties back to lean. I think. People have a misconception of lean that it means lazy or like just throwing shit at the wall. Right. When lean really just means is let's not be wasteful. Right. Like let's not build out this whole feature mm-hmm. until we've established a need for it. Uh, one of the core tenets of, of Perl, um, the language and, and Perl, the community is laziness, and and they mean it in the same way as, as lean. You know, d- don't don't build shit that, that you don't want. Uh, what's the, the the other phrase that comes up from Agile? Um, you ain't gonna need it. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I say this because it's so painful. Like I've built features that nobody uses, and it's just it's sad. Yeah, like you're people, like people get angry at the features. You've never experienced this that like that there's a feature that nobody uses that, but that somehow is like deeply embedded in your in your code base, and people want to rip it out all the time, but they 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 can't for whatever reason. Oh, you mean Ma- engineers internally? A- engineers, yeah, a- engineers want to rip it out, and maybe maybe they can't rip it out because. It's a um, because there's some important customers using it, or because there isn't a new workflow for it, or maybe just like the, the, this political thing. You know, someone worked hard on that, yeah. and no one internally wants to say this no is a loser. U- no one uses that feature. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think I keep coming back to like um, I think software is really more about people than processes or tools. But continuous delivery is about the process. I think it's about people buying into the process that like it's it's right. It, yeah. Yeah. That it's it's better to have you know it's it's better to have proof points. It's better to be. It's better to admit that you can be wrong, right? Than put all your effort into trying to be perfect. So one of the areas that that, that people tend to tend to come up with problems with with continuous delivery is is is, is this idea that the code that they're going to ship is known or, or or not known, like as as in you know it. You don't need permission. You don't need to go through through a product manager or whatever. You know, it's it's just whatever code gets shipped actually gets deployed out. And so, how how do how do people deal with this with this kind of problem? Oh, is this back to the decentralization? Back to decentralization. I think you have to have some, and I keep coming back to people. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you you have to know and trust your engineer and know and trust that they're doing the right thing. Right. I mean, and I think this gets back, and I'm not going to even touch this debate for right now, like the whole offshore versus onshore. Yeah, thing. let's not touch that one. Yeah, let's just, let's just, like, <laughs> we'll, just we'll just move on. Yeah. Um, I mean, so perhaps a different way of, of stating it is is you know there's a uh, you have you have team members in, in in remote time zones sometimes, and and the PM isn't online at that particular moment to validate that particular feature needs to go out. But there's there's a there's a customer who's demanding it, and it's like, what do you do? And so. you know, I don't think there's any right answer to this one. Right. You know, it really I mean, like all people problems. Uh, you know, it's like how good is the developer? How Report as the customer, right? You know, is this really something that needs a judgment call from a PM, or is it just that the PM needs to feel like they need to be there? Right, right. That this is this is something that 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 I personally suffered a lot of the the whole, you know, how come this wasn't run by me sort sort of thing. And it's 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 a really difficult uh, thing when when like a product is your baby to see stuff going out that that isn't isn't necessarily the right feature or that isn't necessarily done in the right way or, or I mean in some cases it's just the way that you would do it versus you know the right way. Yeah, and I mean this this uh, I'll, I'll say again, Paul, this this isn't much really to do with software. It's more just about right overall management and decentralization. So I I, I think the reason it's important is that customers. So, so, I'm not saying it's not important. I'm just right, saying right, right, like, yeah, 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 like yeah, this yeah. thing. This is this is in fact I think one of the biggest decisions you can make as a company. Uh, whether whether to decentralize? Yeah, I mean, so you can well, you can you, you, you can end up with necessary to decentralize. Role. I don't think it's necessary, but if you don't, you could say, okay, I'm going to be the Salesforce model, which is very top down. Right, right. Or I could be Facebook, which is extremely bottoms up. Or I can come up with something that's even even in a bottoms up organization. Like you're going through product managers, you, you you're you're working with people who are actually validating that that you know customers actually want these features. And you know, especially if you're an organization that values you know A/B tests and, and experiments and, and and feature flags, the 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 there there is a there's a process that you can create where everyone is happy with the with the things that you ship and where. Uh. Nobody's ever happy all the time. Well, okay, okay. I, I I think what I'm trying to say is, is and that, I think I'm being devil's advocate. So. You, you you are. Um, you you're just totally fucking with me. <laughs> maybe, not totally. Maybe just like eighty percent. Maybe like ten percent rollout. <laughs> uh, it's a, that was a slow burner. So uh, uh, my sense is that that. Really, there's kind of this overlap between continuous delivery and, and product processes. Absolutely, that, that, that is like quite a, a complicated one to, to navigate. And when people are switching to continuous delivery, like often the problems that, that they're going to experience are not are not technical problems. It's not just the fear of what might break if we if we deployed six times a day, but it's like how do we overcome the uh, or what do we need to do? What do we need to like set up? Um, you know, sort of the, the the people equivalent of of the script that you check into your repo that that, that does the deployment to to make sure that that you know we are doing things safely and and that that we're doing the right things for our customer and for our organization. Yeah, and and, and also, how much risk are you willing to accept to your? Statement? So r- risk is super interesting for like the the whole continuous delivery thing is is all about risk. Yeah, right. Like, and so, and I think part of continuous delivery is saying the biggest risk is to move slowly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't I like so I think like for example a pacemaker you should never do continuous delivery on because the risk is, is super high. Yeah, you're installing a medical thing device in somebody's body. Right. I, I used to draw this. Um, uh, I remember when 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 I was doing the the first seed round um, in like 2012 or something. 
uh, for, for, for CircleCI, we, we would, uh, I'd draw the, this graph of what level of, of safety do you need for, for what, I think the question that comes up is like, what level of test coverage should you yeah. have? And it, it's, it's not a question that you can necessarily answer uh, without knowing the complete context. Like if you're making medical devices, sending people to the moon, um, you know, that, that sort of thing, then yeah, that's the sort of thing where, where you write provably correct code, um, where, you, where you run like, um, uh, why can't I think of Static the, analysis. There was a particular, there was a particular subset of static analysis. That, 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 <laughs> Paul, that Paul by the way, for. has got his PhD in static analysis. Uh, but yet, it's only been like five years and I can't think of any of the words that, that apply to it. So th- th- there are particular subsets of static analysis that are really like provable, programs that are provably correct. Um, and uh, if you're flying on uh, on an Airbus, you're you're flying on uh, on software that has been built by like the leader, the the, the guy who who invented um, in, entire fields of like provably correct programs. On the other hand, if you're making a consumer app, if you're making a, an early stage startup, um, hell, if you're making Facebook, since you know that, that's what yeah. the internal culture is, uh, you can ship things with a, with a much greater degree of risk, and the the risk that you really ex- or a greater degree of kind of software or breakage risk or outage risk or, or whatever that is, but the because what what you're saying as an organization is that the real risk that we want to prevent is moving slowly, is being stagnant, is not getting products to market, is not getting products to our customers. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, so I remember I I had a, a a dude who's now very senior at Hortonworks. He drew a triangle which was quality, cost, and time. Right, right. Um, you know, and he said, you know, you just move around these axes. Yeah. Like you can have an extremely high quality thing that takes that never ships. Yeah. Yeah, or you can like decide we're going to skimp on quality because we want to ship faster. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree. Actually, oh. I think that that the idea of a um, of the the extremely high quality software that you know takes a very very long time to ship, I, I I think that that's not possible. I think that when you take a very long time to release software, what you end up with is is you know t- to get code to perfect. You have to ship it. You have to put it into real world experience, and you have to iterate on. So, Paul, I have to say, I was about to disagree with you, but now I completely agree. Okay, good, good. Because I, I think, I, I think the lesson I have learned is that you cannot internally test the use cases that the real world sees. Right, right. Like particularly, and to go back to mobile, particularly with the rise of mobile, mm-hmm. just right. that there are so many devices out there in so many situations with low battery, low signal. Yeah. You just, you just can't. And th- th- there's entire startups that are dedicated to like simulating your, um, your, your mobile device with like all these kind of different conditions. And but, but even it's people are out in the real world and they suddenly have something you never thought of. Right, right. Or like actually, I heard something really interesting. I, I chatted with a Facebook director of engineering, mm-hmm. and they said they could not simulate Facebook's load. They the can't. only, the, okay. the, the only way yeah. that they could really see if something could stand up to Facebook's load. Is to put it into production. Yeah. Wow. Just be, you know, they're they're talking about you know Facebook has billions of users all right, over yeah, the world. No, I, I hear they're quite popular. I hear I hear the kids dig it. Um, so the, on, on the topic of, of things that the at the kids dig, um, it seems that if you're ever going to make something that's popular, you know, it's never it's never going to be popular on on the first go. There's there's always going to be like a nugget of something that you got right. And in order to really get from there to something that you know grows rapidly, um, that that is the the quintessential Silicon Valley success story, um, you need to be able to to iterate. Yeah. And 
ship new things every day, ship new experiments every day, be able to validate what, what works out there. I, I completely agree, and, and validate on real users. Yes, real, real users are, are tough people. So actually, so as, as I was chatting to, to the product folks earlier earlier today about this kind of topic, and uh, dog fooding yep. was, was the issue, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but so we, we, we're a developer-facing company, we're very technical company, all of our first eight or nine or 10 or 14 or whatever, uh, people are engineers. And, and we use the product heavily from, from, from the start. Um, but when you dog food, you assume that everyone has, uh, has the same workflow that you do. They, they experience the product in the same way that you do. And you, you're not actually getting uh, what the customer really experiences. Yeah, I, I hear you because um, at LaunchDarkly we dog food or dog food or dog food. It's like this chain of turtles. Right. Um, so LaunchDarkly is feature flags as a service. Right. And so we use feature flags ourselves. Right. And so something we actively try to guard against is we're like, okay, we're building like we could build a lot of stuff right now for us because yeah. we're the most advanced user out there. Of course. But we need to dial it back and build more and better onboarding. Right. Right. So I'm not. Yeah, a, yeah. On, onboarding, I guess, is uh, you have a business there that, that needs to be. Yeah. So I, I'm very pro dog fooding, but I think you just always have to be cognizant that if you dog food your stuff, you're probably the power user. Right. Which is not a. It's just a statement of. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. And and it's 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 exactly what I was getting at that that you you're not the exact target user. Um. You're not you're not learning at the at the right rate. Um. And that you you the stuff that you end up shipping is is stuff for for you, which is great, but not necessarily stuff for your customers because that they have a different workflow or or whatever it is. But there are current, I do I do believe in dog food and your own stuff and figuring out the pain points that, like I think. Oh yeah yeah no no I I think I think dog fooding is great. Um, the success of a, of a product org at. Uh, Especially at developer-facing companies, is is realizing that, or making the the entire company realize that the workflow that they use is not the same. I think that, or, or whatever customers, the, informing people about the edge case in the product that that are not experienced by the main product team. That's really interesting, Paul. And actually, uh, this might be just me being selfish, but some feedback I've gotten on launch directly is that we should be more prescriptive about what workflow people should follow with feature flags. Oh, interesting. And I wonder if you get the same at Circle CI about being prescriptive about how to do continuous integration. So when when we were when we were starting, the the most the most popular thing and the, the best sort of designed developer product out there was was Heroku. And Heroku had this logic of you will get an amazing experience if you conform, right? And the the big one was uh, you know, read only file systems. People people would just not conform. You you can't use Heroku because of read only file systems, and, and Heroku actually changed the whole world around, around that that model. We felt that we weren't able to do the same thing. One one was that we were a small kind of startup, and and, and we didn't have the same sort of traction that that that, that Heroku had at, at the uh, at the point that that they were announcing this. But also we felt that. Every developer is a special snowflake. Every every <laughs> developer workflow is a special snowflake. So the the the, the kind of product principle that, that that we came up with is you know if you follow best practices and and every you know every developer community out there Ruby Node you know subsets of of those they they, they all have like you know ways of of using uh, the the tools in the ecosystem in an idiomatic way. So if you follow those best practices, Circle will just work, and it'll it'll be this amazingly beautiful experience. Um, and if you if you deviate, uh, we still want you to use the product. We still and, and so we, we we provide escape hatches for almost everything. 
Um, and we're working hard to make sure that, that, that we have escape hatches for the, for the things that are left. Yeah, I think that's really important. I think, it's, I think we, we fall in love with our own products and we mm-hmm. think people want to turn every knob and twiddle every dial right. when really they just want a lot of stuff. The, yeah, they, they just work. want it working out, out of the box. And, yeah. You know. it's, it's, it's funny that there's so many ways to implement feature flags. And we've we've ended up, you know, we've we've had homegrown feature flags since since before you guys were around, um, and we've just we've just kind of ended up in this situation of the feature flags that you have, or I mean, really the, the product that you use constrains your workflow. Yeah. So the, we we have three different ways of doing feature flags, and we're always trying to make our continuous delivery process. Fit into those into those three buckets. So, like, I have the ability to ship a feature flag that runs on a specific machine or for a specific user, but only randomly, um, or for a specific project, but manually set. Oh. And like, so those are kind of the three the three things that that solve like ninety percent of our work our, of our use cases. But we ended up with we want to do continuous delivery in a way that doesn't really work on those those three kind of ways of doing it. And so instead we need to do something else. So and we find different ways of, of deploying and different ways of of, um, of getting the product out there to customers that fit within those within those things. And sometimes it's not it's not pretty. <laughs> like what's the use case that you had a jury rig? Um, so we, we were disabling um, uh, a field from uh, from our API, and we were pretty convinced that no one used this field. Uh, so we set up a feature flag. Um, for for the field, and then we turned it off for for our own project. Um, and ideally, we would have scaled it up. So you know, we, we it wouldn't have just been listing for ourselves, listing for. Let me explain what I did, and, and then what what we would ideally like to have done. So turned it on for ourselves, and then uh, waited a day or two, and then turned it on for random smattering of, of ten customers who who were building right now. Waited a couple of days, no no complaints. Turned it off for everyone. Waited a week or two, no complaints, um, and then and then we actually deleted the code. But that that manual process of first we'll turn it off for ourselves, then we'll then we'll pick ten customers and actually type the the project names into um, into our chat ops thing in Slack. Oh, you're um, one of those chatbot people. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's awesome. I, I couldn't recommend it more. Um, but so, so yeah, we, we 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 do that, and then. Uh, really, what what I want is the you know we scale it up to ten percent to twenty percent to thirty percent, but we can only do that on a randomized we can only do that on a randomized basis. We can't do that on a on a static like once customers are in, um, they're they're able to do it. So so we weren't able to use that that particular uh, feature flag mechanism for it. Well, uh, Paul, you know you can use launch directly on a yeah, feature yeah, by yeah, feature yeah, yeah, no yeah. on a feature by feature basis. Yeah yeah no. So you, I mean you could keep your homegrown system and then just. Use us with really important features. Oh, that's an interesting idea. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I mean, you could just use us for those features and and keep your old system in place. Right, right. And then gradually, all your features belong to us. Right. Well, it'll get there. the The other one we we were talking a lot about um, about SaaS software and, and obviously continuous delivery is this thing which came about because of the prevalence of, of SaaS software. Absolutely. But we're, we're launching on prem software. Um, so you know, as well as as CircleCI, you can buy CircleCI Enterprise, uh, and that's like literally things that that we that we ship that run in your own VPC or that run on prem, and you know we, we can't really ship the same the same things to do testing. For a start, we're not allowed to ship our analytics code in there, so we we don't run Mixpanel in the in the stuff that we ship to enterprise customers, and so we can't tell 
you know, who's using what parts of the features, and it, it makes the, the whole continuous delivery model much more difficult. Oh yeah, it's, 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 it's much, I mean, so we talked before, it's like, so with Apple's a gatekeeper, on-prem right. is a gatekeeper. Like right. really, really the rise and, of and SaaS. Really, that's what they're trying yeah. to be, like they're deliberately trying to be a, a gatekeeper. Yeah, well, well I, I think continuous delivery and SaaS are, are so tightly intertwined because one enables the other. Right. There was this uh, there was this blog post that, that that I read kind of in in the dawn of, of SaaS and it was, it was by uh, Joel Spolsky in, in the Joel on Software blog um, where he talked about switching Fog Creek from um, a a downloadable thing that that runs on on some thing to to being actually in the you know, on the web and being a web application and one of the things he talks about is is being able to ship things that that customers don't see yet um, being able to ship things that Fix customer bugs immediately after they start, and being able to get notifications about error messages um, or about, about errors or, or whatever it is immediately instead of being, you know, being sent by a bug report or, or being sent by an actual customer via you know an email that they can't replicate yeah, or, we, or whatever. You're so we used to be so blind, Paul. I, it was it was fucking awful. Like I, trying to write software in, oh I I so I I worked um. Uh, in the games industry, briefly, uh, when when I finished college the first time, and you know, shipping code that runs on on a console that is going to be shipped like on a gold master disc in in six months from now, and that you're never really going to be able to validate. That was like games aren't even shipped that way now. Yeah. But like that that was a fucking awful time of of trying to understand. All the different ways, uh, you know, that, that that software could break, and all the different ways that, uh, that 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 your code might just not work when it literally shipped to millions of people uh, at once. Yeah, and um, to to tie back to something we were talking about before, that that's when you got this feature and scope creep to the point where like Duke Nukem never shipped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a particular problem in the uh, in the graphics engine or in, in anything that involves like a state of the art graphics engine. It, things will will just fall back until they until they don't ship. Yeah, well, because then, and then all of a sudden, I mean, it goes back, and then you have all these issues with well, people's um, people's computers themselves have moved on. Right, right. The expectations are different as well. Like if if you're if you're shipping uh, Duke Nukem, and it's you know it's been seven years now, the thing that you're going to have to ship is going to have to be amazing. It's going to yeah, yeah. It'll have to be life changing, or else people will will wonder what what it is going on. Yeah, but instead, you've just been trying for the past seven years just to like ship anything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm I'm very very glad to be in the um in the SaaS business. It's liberating. I, I think, I think analogy is between the transition between books to newspapers to online. Right, because people are uh, the news cycle changes as a result of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If if you can publish multiple times a day, you just publish. Yeah. And of course, you can you can continually go back and edit those articles in case you, yeah. <laughs> or put a retraction or a correction, right, or, right, 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 right. or or unlike a book, like once a book is out in a bookstore, like right, you know, it's there. Yeah. So I uh, the the biggest thing that I've ever written um, was my or the the longest thing I've ever written was was my PhD thesis, and I have a paper bound copy in in my living room that I never look at. Um, but occasionally someone will come and they'll be like, "Oh, here it is," and they'll open it to a random page. And looking over their shoulder, I see a typo. Oh no! And I, whatever page they open, there's some typo. <laughs> I've, I've read that thing fifty times, uh, but somehow I didn't manage to get them all out. <laughs> Did you? That's really funny. 
Are, are they terrible typos or just mini ones? It's. I mean, it's things that a spell checker would have caught sometimes. Oh, did you make it in some like terrible LaTeX or something? Of course, it was in LaTeX. Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah. 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 So it's probably beautifully formatted. But it's. Like, it looks amazing. <laughs> Garamond font. <laughs> so it looks beautiful, but it's riddled with uh, <laughs> minor punctuation errors. Yeah, I remember. Um, this is a total aside, but I wrote an econ thesis and I was really proud, and I took it home to my parents mm-hmm. and. My parents, my mom has a PhD in English. My dad is an editor, and they Uh-oh. started pointing out like you used an M dash when you should have, should have used an N dash. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow. you're, I was like, you're supposed to be admiring like my deep economic thought, not co- right. not copying. So apart from uh, doing a, a therapy session for that, uh, <laughs> what else have we got in the uh, in the continuous delivery vein? Uh, I just. Was back thinking about my, my thesis um, and the the deep parental <laughs> scarring. <laughs> <laughs> um, Looks like we're all out of things to talk about this week. No, I I, I think we opened it up. Um, you asked me what I liked about continuous delivery. Uh, okay. And you said I was surprised by my answer. What was your answer again? Uh, I liked getting uh, product to people faster and making them happier. Oh yeah, no, I, I thought you were going to talk about employee morale. I think I, I mean I like employer morale also, but I don't think that's the. Um, and it, well, I think they tie together. I think employees are happy because customers are happy. Right, right. Per- personally, ha- having worked uh, at Mozilla during the the awful Firefox three to Firefox four you know, conversion or, or the Firefox four launch, which took eighteen months, and you know things just kept slipping and, and things just kept being added and feature creep and and there were, there were these things that that the web was waiting for that that were being held back by by Mozilla being being unable to to ship Firefox for and people were not happy like the, the the entire organization was was particularly unhappy and when we switched to the release train model um it's kind of a, a few months before I left I think and actually I I I hold the um the singular distinction of being the first person to uh to fuck up the <laughs> Uh, the Mozilla continuous uh, release train model. Uh, <laughs> that wasn't where I thought you were going to go there, Paul. No, uh, if I, I, I forget where I was going, but I, I, I think I can probably get there. Um, no, uh, how, how do you people f- were unhappy? That was that. How, was do, how was do you going. fuck up the release train? So I shipped a feature uh, just before the deadline, and that's the whole thing that you're supposed to avoid with continuous delivery. It's never about shipping before a deadline. But no, I was, I was determined to get this feature in, and this feature was was one where where we had argued about it, con- you know. Considerably online um, on, on Bugzilla, and then you know I said, "Look, I'm just going to ship this, and we shall see." Uh, and the feature was was going to be an amazing one. So in JavaScript, there's no way to get sub millisecond precision, right? The, the, but there's a there's a feature called date.now, and date.now returns uh, the number of milliseconds uh, in, in you know, since whenever, and when uh, I said, "Okay, we can make this uh, a floating point number." And that can give us sub millisecond precision. Uh, unfortunately, people were using this to uh, basically as a random name generator, Uh-oh. and they were creating uh, DOM nodes uh, that had the name of the number of milliseconds. It was a terrible, terrible idea doing it. But DOM nodes can't have dots in the name, so I turned it to a floating point number. Everything broke, and the first thing that broke is Gmail. <gasps> so Gmail upload uh, used this feature. Feature. I, I, I spit on that feature. <laughs> uh, used used the thing, and so I, I broke Gmail for about a million people who were using our our nightly releases. Well, Paul, I'm not going to give them your address so that they can <laughs> talk about 
talk about how they really oh. needed that email. But because continuous delivery, it rolled back. There was, there was no big deal. And I, and I think that also plays into a bigger point that we were making that until you push a feature out into the field, you can't really know how people are using it. Right. Yeah. I mean, so actually, in this particular case, I think we could have we could have predicted it. There, there were there was in retrospect there were there were some uh, things out there, but uh, but yeah, once it goes out, it settles the question for once and for all. Lots of people who knew what they were talking about were saying this is going to break the web, and I said no, no, it'll be fine. And really, you know, we 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 just put it out there, and it broke the web, and we rolled it back. Yeah, I mean that that's one of my uh, major tenets is users always be testing. Right. And users beat assumptions. Right. Uh, products need to be validated. Code needs to be validated. And the sooner you get them out to real people, the better. Right. D- did we talk about risk yet? We talked a little bit about risk. We talked about pacemakers. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, I mean, the 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 thing that's important, I think, is um, with risk and continuous delivery, is is that smaller units are less risky. Absolutely. Uh, you you can ship out a tiny, tiny piece of code. And validate that it works or doesn't work with with significantly less risk than a whole quarter's worth of work. And, and I think it's risk at every level. It's, what do you mean? It's risk at market level. Right. So I think you were talking very narrowly about just like C- code risk. And, code and, risk. Yeah, and ability of like breaking a, a customer or being able to to like you can't roll back a quarter's worth of stuff, but you can roll back one commit. Yeah, but I think it, to me it goes even bigger. Like the biggest risk, and we we talked about the biggest benefit right, of right, continuous right. delivery is the biggest risk is always just you're building the wrong darn thing. Right. Right. To tell that to your CIO. Like, well, you you spent you spent eighteen months or twenty four months just going in a direction like to to your to your thing about the game discs, right? To build a game that nobody wants or cares about, right? Right? right. Oh, <laughs> well, sorry. on that depressing oh. note, <laughs> <laughs> we we are going to be back in two weeks, I think. Yeah, two weeks. Um, and we're going to be talking about more continuous delivery stuff. We we don't know exactly what, so so send us a note. Uh, Edith at launchdarkly.com and I'm on Twitter at Edith underscore H and I'm on Twitter at Paul Bigger and we shall see you in two weeks Thanks for listening to this episode of To Be Continuous brought to you by Heavybit and hosted by me Paul Bigger of CircleCI and Edith Harbaugh of LaunchDarkly To learn more about Heavybit visit heavybit.com While you're there check out their library home to great educational talks from other developer company founders and industry leaders 